So as I said, today we are observing a day late. We transferred it. It was yesterday. The Feast of the Transfiguration, which commemorates the revelation and manifestation of Jesus's glory to Peter, James and John on Mount Tabor. And though we can never exhaust the meaning of this event, and it is a real historical event. That's important to understand. And this goes for all of Holy Scripture. As Peter said, this is not a cleverly devised myth. When we're reading Scripture, those of you children who were at Vacation Bible School, the story of Joseph, Joseph was a real person. The stories in Scripture, as much as we love stories like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, or Cinderella, or... Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the stories in Scripture are not fairy tales. They're not mere, you know, archetypal myths to aid in self-actualization. These are things that really happen. The gospel is not a myth. God entered time and space into human history. God became man. Jesus of Nazareth was born And he lived and he loved and he healed and he taught and he died for your sins. And he was raised up on the third day. He ascended in glory. The transfiguration is not, as Peter says, a myth. He says, no, we were, quote, eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Apostle John, who was also there, who was and is a real person, writes in the prologue of his gospel. And the word, that is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. John writes, we beheld his glory. Well, when did John behold his glory? Where did John behold his glory? At the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. And note that in John 1, the mention of Christ's glory is connected with his sonship. Because when Christ showed his glory to the inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, what did the Father say? He said, this is my son. So though we're never going to exhaust the meaning, the truth, the beauty, the goodness of the transfiguration, because how can we plumb the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We can't. And I'm not going to try this morning, especially because we have the kids in here with us. So this morning, just three points for this morning. Number one, the transfiguration is the revelation of the deity of Christ. Christ reveals in the transfiguration that he is indeed God in the flesh. 
Now, you can notice if you compare your Old Testament reading uh, with the gospel reading, that the similarities between Moses on Mount Sinai and Jesus on Mount Tabor are striking. Both are what's called theophanies. That means God shows up. God reveals himself. God is present. Both events involve mountains, clouds, light, a change in appearance. But whereas Moses on Mount Sinai shone with the glory of God, Jesus on Mount Tabor shone as the glory of God. St. John of Damascus writes this, Moses indeed was arrayed with a glory which came from without. Our Lord, which, with that which proceeded from the inherent brightness of divine glory. For since in the hypostatical union, that's the union of God and man in the one person of Jesus Christ, there is one in the same glory of the word and the flesh, He is transfigured, not as receiving what he was not, but manifesting to his disciples what he was. And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the one to whom Elijah and Moses point. That is, he's the one who fulfills the law and the prophets of whom all the scriptures speak. He is God's Messiah. To whom they, we, and all flesh should hearken. In Luke chapter 9, when God the Father says, listen to him. And this is a rebuke to Peter. But it's also, almost certainly, a reference to a prophetic word spoken by Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses prophesies saying this. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Then he says, it is to him you shall listen. So God the Father is saying, this is the one of whom Moses spoke. This is my son. This is the eternal word made flesh. So Jesus on Mount Tabor is not becoming divine. He is not in that moment before their eyes becoming something that he formerly was not. Rather, he is showing them and us what he always has been, what he is, and what he always shall be. What does Hebrews say? Chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The constancy of God. The character of God. Is something that we can always rely on. He is who he is. So it's really the disciples who were transfigured. They were changed. They were enabled to see Christ for who he is. 
Hans Borsma, in his book entitled Seeing God, writes this, It appears to have been the unanimous patristic consensus of the ancient church fathers that in the transfiguration, it is not Christ, but the disciples who were changed so that they were able to see, to perceive the light of the eternal Son of God. So Peter, James, and John, as we'll see, all of us, are given the grace to see the glory which Christ had before the world was. His eternal glory. Number two, the transfiguration is the arrival of the kingdom of God. The transfiguration is a vision and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Look in in Luke 9.27. So this is the verse just before our gospel. Jesus says this, But I tell you truly, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And when did some of the disciples see the kingdom of God? The very next verse, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he, that is Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. So Jesus says, some of you will see the kingdom And then eight days later, the number eight in Scripture being significant, pointing to resurrection, pointing to new creation, pointing to the fullness of the kingdom of God that will come at the last day. So eight days later, they see the king of glory in his glory. Moreover, Peter's actions, his desired actions, actually make some sort of sense. It's always kind of weird reading that. Sees Jesus in his glory. Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter suddenly gets this urge to go camping. Let's make some tents. What's going on with that? Well, it helps to be aware of a Jewish feast called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And during this feast, the Israelites would stay in tents to remember and commemorate The presence of God in the tabernacle. The presence of God with them in the wilderness. And the tabernacle was what? It was a tent. It was a holy tent. But it was a portable tent temple. But also during the Feast of Tabernacles, Israel not only looked back to what God had done, they looked forward to the end of the age. To the fulfillment of God's kingdom. Thus, Peter's desire to make tents is a recognition that the kingdom of God has arrived in and through Jesus. So Peter was on the right track, but he didn't yet understand, or perhaps it seems in the Gospels, he couldn't cope with the fact that the suffering of the cross preceded the glory of the kingdom. He didn't understand that this was real, that the kingdom really had arrived on Tabor, but it was a foretaste because in order for the disciples, in order for all of us to share in the glory of God, to be united with him, to know him, Jesus had to go to the cross. What was Jesus discussing with Moses and Elijah on Mount Tabor. They're discussing his departure. 
which he would accomplish. An odd phrase in English. Accomplish a departure. But the word departure in Greek is exodus. Jesus, as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, through his life and his death and his resurrection, frees us from the slavery of sin and death and hell. Finally, and this is where we want to land this morning, the transfiguration is the paradigm of the Christian life. So it's not just something neat that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something that God invites us to participate in today, now. The transfiguration, yes, is the revelation of, of the deity of Christ. It's the arrival of the kingdom of God. But it's also Jesus in his glory is a glimpse of the resurrected life that he offers us. He's, he's a, it's a glimpse of what we are created to share in. Peter, in the same epistle, says that we are to become partakers of the divine nature. Thus, the transfiguration is a preview of the glory which is ours in Christ at the last day. You see, you were made for the express purpose of knowing God, of being united with him, of seeing him face to face. You're made to become like him. We get a glimpse of the end for which we were made of the salvation that was won for us through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In Philippians 3, Paul writes that Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. The vision of God is a preview of our transformation, and it's also the means of transformation. A transformation which has already begun for us who are in Christ. For it is in seeing God, both through a glass darkly and ultimately at the last day, which transforms us into his likeness. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. So this is a present reality. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And though, again, that blessed transformation won't be complete until the last day, it has already begun because we are to seek the face of God in the scriptures, in prayer, in the sacraments, in fellowship with one another. And the glimpses that we receive when we're in God's presence, it transforms us. We are invited to participate in the glorious light of Christ now. St. Gregory of Palamas writes this regarding the transfiguration and spiritual growth. He says, how should he, that is Jesus, not commune worthily with the divine ray of his body, which is with us? 
In other words, we have been united with Christ. We are, if we know Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The light of glory dwells within us. So let us, brothers and sisters, seek the face of God in Christ. For the more that we are in his presence, the more we become like him. Because you become like that which you worship. We even become like that which we honor. You think of athletes who, they they have an athlete of a bygone era, like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. He started to play like Michael, walk like Michael, act like Michael. We become like that which we honor, which we venerate, which we worship. And as we walk in the light, we will become illumined like Moses. What we're doing every Sunday morning is that we're ascending Mount Tabor. More than that, we're ascending the Mount of Calvary. We're coming into the very throne room of Almighty God. We're in the presence of the glorious light, which is Christ. And the goal is to come back down the mountain aglow with the life and the light of Jesus. So when we seek the face of God, we will become what we are called to be, which is the light of the world. Yes, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he also says in Matthew chapter 5 to his followers, you are the light of the world. So let us walk in the light as he is in the light, growing in fellowship with the light so that we become like the light, little lights of the world pointing the world to the light, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.